You know, names are important. Whether you're naming an organization or a child, we all know that names stick with us. And, you know, there's many different qualifications as to why we name someone or something. Often we name someone or something based upon an aesthetic that we like about it, right? More and more I hear, you know, when I ask someone, hey, why'd you name your child that? They simply say, I just like the way it sounded, right? There's an aesthetic that you're drawn to in the name. Or especially with older names, or and especially for places, uh, we give names to things to describe them, right? So a mountain peak that doesn't have any trees on it, we name Bald Peak or something like that, right? Or often, and I think most commonly, we name someone or something based upon some quality or story or heritage that we want communicated through that name. So we named our sons after family members that we hoped they would one day become like. We named our church Trinity Anglican because we have as our deepest held value the worship, the service, and the adoration of our triune God. And we desire to live in communion with our God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It's our highest value and aspiration. Names communicate far more than just a few letters jumbled together. They're more than just signifiers for an individual. They describe who we are and our deepest held beliefs and values. This Advent, we're going to be looking at one of the most beautiful names of the second person of the Trinity. As is often the case, God has many names. And each person of the Trinity has many names within their individuality. Or personhood, not individuality, personhood. There's a distinction there. We often think uh, we describe him as the son of the father. Uh, he is the logos or the word. He is Jesus. But during Advent, we're going to be looking at the beautiful name Emmanuel. This name that meets all the qualifications of naming. It's a beautiful name that rolls off of our tongue. It's poetic in its orientation, Emmanuel. It's descriptive in its very nature. It is God with us. And it describes who Christ is. He is God who took on flesh. And the name Emmanuel signifies a quality about what this taking on flesh reveals. That God has chosen to be for us so much so that he came to rescue us by being with us to redeem us. The name Emmanuel is a name that is beautiful. That reveals who God is and also communicates what he came to do to bring about the salvation of his people. As I already said, we're going to be preaching through this name. And this week, I want to look particularly at the reality that Emmanuel came for our deliverance. Emmanuel came for our rescue. Emmanuel, God with us, came to bring us out of death and into life. Now, I want to look at three things as almost always. First, in order for God being with us to be good news, there's something that has to happen prior to that. We first have to know that God is for us. If God is with us and he's not for us, it's not good news that God is with us. Then second, we're going to look at the liberating reality of God with us. That Christ Jesus, God himself, came to rescue us from sin and death. And only God can accomplish that rescuing work. No one else can do it. 
God with us is necessary for salvation. And then finally, I want to look at this challenge of God with us, that it's not just news for us, it's news for the whole world. So if you would, turn with me all the way back to Genesis 17, verses 1 through 8. In this, we see what theologians call the covenant of grace or the Abrahamic covenant. This is the beginning of God's covenant that Christ came to fulfill. This is a covenant that in many ways we are still living within. The covenant of God's unilateral choice to be for his people. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am God Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless that I may make my covenant between me and you. and may multiply you greatly. Then Abram fell on his face and God said to him, behold, my covenant is with you and you shall be the father of a multitude of nations. No longer shall your name be called Abram, but your name shall be Abraham, for I've made you the father of a multitude of nations. I will make you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make you into nations, and kings shall come from you, and I will establish my covenant between me and your offspring after you throughout their generations for an everlasting covenant. To be to you and to your offspring after, to be God to you and to your offspring after you. And I will give to you and to your offspring after you the land of your sojournings, all the land of Canaan, for an everlasting possession, and I will be their God. Here we see the establishment of this covenant of grace. God comes upon these two people, Abram and Sarai. He renames them Abraham and Sarah. And they're in a point of death and grief. Because what do we know? They can't have children. For Sarah, this is the greatest grief an ancient woman could have. Her womb is barren. This one thing that she had longed for her whole life is not given to her. And Abram, or later Abraham, he has no future either. He has no offspring that will carry on his great legacy. We often have a hard time fathoming it, but the only way we can describe it is the greatest disappointment you could ever face, that's the place where God meets Abraham and Sarah. And the greatest disappointment you could ever face, often we think about it, oh, well, I have this great disappointment, but I can do something to figure it out. I can make this work. And we know they try to do that, right? And that's when Abram sleeps with his servant and they have Ishmael and it doesn't work out. The only way life can occur, the only way this tragedy can be resolved is if God descends and gives life where there is only death. That's where God meets us. That is where God has been meeting his people since he has chosen to form a people. If you feel like that all you do is bring to God your grief and your sorrows, all you do is bring to God empty hands with nothing to give him and only longing to receive. That is the exact place where God has always met his people since he has chosen to have a people. And so he meets Abraham and Sarah. And what does he do? He promises to give them offspring. He promises to give them a land. But most importantly, he promises to be their God and that they would be his people. What is he doing here? 
He is promising that he will be eternally, not conditionally, eternally, graciously for his people. This is the beginning of Emmanuel, God with us. That in order for God to be with us in a way that blesses us in any way, shape, or form, we have to first remember that God has chosen to be for us. Not because of anything we've done for him, not because we particularly have it together, but simply as an act of his grace. Actually, what you should look at when you see the Abrahamic covenant is an adoption ceremony. Two herding orphans with a, a marriage that isn't going so great to say the least. God sees them in their pain, and he says, I will be your God. Karl Barth, in uh, his Church Dogmatics, Volume 4, which is probably the most significant work of theology written since the Institute, said this, to put it the simplest way, what unites God and us men is that he does not will to be God without us that he creates us rather to share with us and therefore with our being and life and act his own incomparable being, life and act, that he does not allow his history to be his and ours to be ours, but causes them to take place as a common history. That is the special truth which the Christian message has to proclaim at its very heart, that God has chosen to enter into our pain that God has chosen to see us in our sorrows and come down to us and say, I will be for you. But I don't know about you, but that is one of the, people often say that's too good of news to believe. But all I can tell you is that's the hardest news to believe as Christians. Because everything in our flesh says what? God isn't for me unless I do X or Y or Z, right? I have to get God to be for me. He is an exacting judge. He is the father who sits upon, you know, his throne and he's never quite happy with me. So I have to enter the rat race of trying to get him to be for me. But what we see in the Abrahamic covenant are two people that are oblivious to who God even is. There's good evidence that Abraham and Sarah were moon worshipers, if anything. And yet God chose, chooses to break up into their existence and call them into life with him as a pure act of grace. Now, this for us also leads to God being with us in Emmanuel. Keep that, this Abrahamic covenant in the back of your mind as we reread Matthew 1, 18 through 25. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ came, or uh, Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit." She will bear a son, and you shall name, call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. 
and he called his name Jesus. Here we see this great act of God being for us. God is so for us that he sent his very son to be with us, to die for us, to live for us, to rise for us, to bring us into life. And this son that is given, he's given two names, if you see here. Again, it's kind of odd, you know, you and I tend to be given, you know, three names, a first name, a middle name, and a last name. The name of God, he has a lot of different names, right? And he's, uh, Joseph is told to name him Jesus and Emmanuel. Jesus, which is just a word that's similar, or the same word as Joshua, which means the Lord saves, and Emmanuel, which means God with us. And you can't separate those two names, that God's saving work and God's incarnating work to be with us, they're one in the same moment. Because what do we know about salvation? In our world, what needs to happen if you want to save someone? right? What if you have, you know, a, a, a group of people in a country and you want to go liberate them? What? What do you got to do? You got to send in the troops. You can't just send them wishful thoughts. You have to actually go and liberate them. Someone has to go save them. But what else do we know? If you go and try to save someone, but you don't have the power to save them, it's worthless, right? It's like a drowning person in the middle of a lake, and you go to swim out to get them, but you don't have the energy to get back to shore. All you're going to do is make them drown faster because you're going to drown with them, right? So what we see is that Jesus' name, the name of the second person of the Trinity is Jesus, the Lord saves, but that is built upon the reality that God is with us. God, the one who is powerful enough to save God, the one who spoke creation into existence and can speak us into new existence. God, the one that can take the dead and make them alive, he can save us. And he has chosen to come down and do just that. That's what the name Jesus Emmanuel means, that God has come down to save us. Calvin and his institutes in chapter Book 2, chapter 12, which is my absolute favorite chapter in the entire thing, says this. Moreover, it was especially necessary that he who was to be our redeemer should be truly God and truly man. It was his to swallow up death. Who but life could do so? It was his to conquer sin. Who could do so save righteousness himself? It was his to put to flight the powers of the air and the world. Who could do so but the mighty power superior to both? But who possesses life and righteousness in the dominion and government of heaven but God alone? Therefore, God in his infinite mercy, having determined to redeem us, became himself our redeemer in the person of his only begotten son. The name Emmanuel, God with us is absolutely necessary for our salvation because only God can bring about the deliverance that you and I need. When we say the name Emmanuel, we say the name salvation. But here's what I want to remind you of today. Often when we think about Emmanuel, what do we think about? What I just said, that definitive act of salvation that happened 2,000 years ago when God walked among us living a perfectly righteous life in your place, dying your death in your place, rising to new life in your place. And that tends to be how we think about Emmanuel. 
But here's what I want to remind you of. His name hasn't changed. He is here with you. He is here offering to redeem you even now. Yes, there is that moment of salvation of when we place our faith in Jesus Christ. It is that absolute point in which we are moved out of death and into life. But there are times in our lives where we cry out to God for salvation from the darkness that we are in. And he promises, I will be with you in it and I will carry you through. He is the one that can carry you through your greatest loss and grief. He is the one who can carry you through the rejections that you face when you feel absolutely alone. He is the one that can carry you through the confusions that we have in this world where we don't know where we ought to go. And he promises that his light will carry you through. There's only one person whose shoulders you can lean upon in this life. And he promises he will never turn away from you. He will never reject you. He will never forget about you, but he has promised to be for you, with you, redeeming you even now. Two weeks ago, we met as a vestry and we were uh, praying through this Advent season. And I brought forward a prayer request from someone in the church. And we as a vestry, we do pray for you. If you don't know what the vestry is, that's just the governing board of the church. Um, and it's, it's confidential, you know, you can always request, we need prayer and, and we'll pray for you. We love to pray for you. And, uh, um, the person who we're, I'm about to speak to, I won't mention their name, but they gave me permission to tell the broad generalities of this story. But we were praying for a family that's going through something very difficult with a child. Um, something that, uh, when we planted the church, we didn't think we would have to walk through something that I don't think they ever thought they would have to walk through. A situation that doesn't seem to have a simple answer and a definitive answer. It's, it's been an ongoing struggle for an incredibly long time for the mother and the father. And as we were praying for them, uh, Allison Aranda, as she was praying, said that she saw a vision of the Lord, of Jesus Christ, who is the light walking alongside of this mother with his arm around her shoulder. And he was emanating a light from himself. And as you often know, if it's like a lantern, it doesn't spread all the way to the end of the path. It doesn't show you the end point. But as long as this mother stayed within the light of Jesus, as long as she knew that the Lord was with her, she would be able to walk this difficult path that the Lord had set before her that he wouldn't leave her, he wouldn't forsake her, that he would guide her through this present darkness into his marvelous light. Even when it doesn't feel that way in the moment, even when we aren't given a solution and a resolution now, we have hope that God with us promises to never leave us or forsake us, but to walk us through the darkness of this life. And that promise is for us today. Family, Advent is a season that crashes in upon the Christmas insanity that we have made Christmas into. <laughs> it's a time in which we actually recognize that our world is full of darkness and that darkness is in our own heart and that darkness surrounds us. And yet God promises to carry us through. 
He doesn't promise an immediate resolution, but he promises that he will walk with us every step of the way. That promise is for you. Even in the darkness you are facing right now, you don't need to cry out to Emmanuel. You can simply whisper to him because he is that close to you even now. And the last thing I want to just say before I conclude is that news is not just for us. That news is for the whole world. My prayer is this Advent, you would know the power of Emmanuel with you. And that would actually move you to greater compassion to those who don't have Emmanuel in their life, who don't know the power of, of God being with them in the darkness. And that that wouldn't move you to pride or judgment to anyone, but profound compassion upon them, a prayer for them, a stewarding of your resources to support missionaries as they reach them, and you yourself engaging in evangelism with those in your life. 1 Peter 2 9 through 10 says so beautifully, if God calls us his own, if he says he's for us and he also sends us out to proclaim that news, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. If God says he is for us, if God says he is with us, he calls us to go out and to spread that good news as far and wide as we can. And so my prayer for you this Advent is that your hearts would be softened to those that don't know Emmanuel. That yes, you would give to the ministries of this church and the ministries that we support, but also that your hearts would be moved to prayer for those that are in your work or in your family or on your kids' sporting events or whatever it might be in your neighborhood. Also, you might have received an email this week that a new refugee family is moving into Synergy Village this coming month. On the third week of Advent, we're going to be preaching through our local ministry partners, uh, Synergy Village, and then work we do with refugees throughout our city. Um, but we actually care about refugees. We care about people that are looking for a home in our great country, and yes, experiencing freedom here, but our longing is for them to experience freedom in Christ Jesus all the more. Go home and pray as a family. Is your family called to walk alongside this refugee family? They're coming from Afghanistan. In all likelihood, that means that they're either culturally or, or actively Muslim. That means that they know a God above them, a God who rules over them, but they don't know the gift of God with them in Christ Jesus. And what a better way to communicate that great gift than to walk alongside a family who's struggling and hurting and showing them the gift of Emmanuel as they move to our country. Would you pray about serving them? Family, our God has chosen to be for us. Our God has chosen to be with us. Our God has chosen to redeem us. Our God has chosen to walk alongside us in this darkness and bring us into his light. We are truly a blessed people. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you that you are the one that has taken us out of darkness and brought us into your marvelous light. Lord, would we cry out to you? Lord, would we speak to you in our pain and in our sorrow? 
knowing that you are there with us and you will guide us through. Lord, we pray for the people of this world that they would turn from darkness and turn to your marvelous light. To the glory of your name, Jesus. Amen.